host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockeypedia Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me for part two of this year's trade, we'd like to see Extravaganza, my pal Thomas Drans, my pal Jack Fraser. We In part one, we did a bunch of fun trades, some three-teamers. Tom doing a bunch of laundering through the Minnesota Wild. We had the Chris Tanev trade break as we were recording, and we did some analysis on it. So it was a fun and eventful one, and somehow through 52 minutes of part one, we didn't mention Jake Enzel once. So this is his first reference to him. We will have a bunch of trades involving him here shortly. But I wanted to pick back up with the Colorado Avalanche before, because before we went to break in part one, we were talking about some options for them and what they can do. And both of you took what I thought were very like small steps in terms of trying to turn Ryan Johansson into someone more productive for them. And I appreciate that. I think they should take a bigger swing though, because once you have Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr healthy and playing in their prime, their fastball is still as good as anyone's. And so I want to see them really make a concerted effort to go all in with this team. Now, I don't think Adam Henrique is that and is going to justify the price. I'm not sure how available Casey Middlestad actually is because he has an extra year on his RFA deal and it isn't just purely a one. So Buffalo doesn't necessarily need to trade him. I think Brock Nelson would be an amazing fit, but Lou Lamorello's is GM and I can't really see him throwing in the towel and making that trade. So I'm going to pivot here and I'm going to involve the Seattle Kraken, a team that you guys both used for previous trades. Now they're an interesting spot because Dom has them at a 12% playoff probability right now. But they're competing with four other teams for that last Western Conference uh, wildcard spot. And one thing they've done really well as an organization so far in their short existence is building up their prospect pool, right? They didn't have any pick surplus for their first year, yet three years in, our colleagues at EP Ringside had them ranked ninth in terms of uh, prospect pool strength at the start of this season. And they've done a really good job of leveraging pick capital into quality talent in the draft. Now, They've got Eberle, Wenberg, Tatar, Justin Schultz as UFAs this summer, but I think they should take a bit more of an aggressive long-term approach and look ahead to next year where Adam Larson and Yanni Gord are both UFAs. And by the time they're up for new deals, Yanni Gord will be 34, Adam Larson will be 33, and I don't think it makes sense to be viewing them as much as they're very productive players, great contributors, great locker room players, have meant a lot for the culture of this team. I think this is a time for them to cash in. So Tom, I'm going to pitch you on this trade here and I want to hear your take on it because it involves a player very near and dear to your heart. Now, it goes like this. Yanni Gord and his 5.17 million plus Will Borgen and his 2.7. Ooh, so those two. Like it already. For Ryan Johansson's money, which is 4 million, as we've said. Bowen Byram, which is 3.85. So the money essentially cancels out for those four roster players. And then Colorado, along with Byram's obviously upside and long-term potential, compensates Seattle with a 2024 first, 2025 first. And if it takes it, so be it a 2026 second. Although I'm not sure you need to go that extreme, but I think Seattle's going to need to be convinced to move on Yanni Gord right now at Adam Larson. And so to force their hand, you're essentially just going godfather offer style we're going to give you everything but it presents this interesting scenario now for colorado where you could put together this dream for checking line of yanni gord with val Nichushkin and arturi lekkanen that would just be an absolute buzzsaw and a nightmare to play against and it would give colorado three dominant lines with the way colton wood and loc have been playing as well 
makes their defense make a lot of sense as well. I get that you're sacrificing a lot of long-term upside and I still am holding out hope for Byram. And I think there's a lot of explanations for why he struggled the way he has recently. But this is the type of move you make if you're as all-in as Colorado is. And I think it's a very justifiable price. What do you what do you guys think about that and whether it's too extreme or whether it makes sense for both teams? I'm here for it. I mean, what I like about it is it sort of opens this new two-year window around Gord, um, which exists for the the Avalanche anyway. But but obviously a massive upgrade in terms of their depth up front. You lose a fair bit of upside on the back end, I think. Uh, obviously, Borgen's one of my favorites, but what Bowen Byram can be, what Bowen Byram was in the playoffs when they won the Stanley Cup was was through the roof. His his play this year is a huge mystery to me. Um, you know, potentially uh, partly the Jack Johnson effect, but I think there's more going on there. He's really struggled. He's really had a down year. I, I'd be worried. I'd be nervous if I was the Avalanche on on selling on a potential superstar player. Uh, you know, at, at this price, especially one who plays a premium position, is versatile, skilled enough to play both sides. And you know, I think in line with the Caco, um with the caco sort of suggestion that we had earlier i i do think this is partly the business that the seattle kraken should try and be it which is try and buy a couple stars right i mean they have so much good middle six like structural talent they're a whole team of use of valuable glue guys and if there's any way to monetize that to some guys who can be you know uh sort of faces of the franchise type talents down the line you know, to me, that that feels like what they're going to need to do, especially because they've sort of found themselves stuck in some ways where they're pretty good, but they're not great. They're not reliably or sustainably good, as we've seen this year. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to think of when's the next time they're going to get a chance to draft a Shane Wright uh, or a Maddie Beneers, especially if Maddie Beneers and Shane Wright top out is like, you know, Bo Horvat or Pierre-Luc Dubois level like low-end first-line stars as opposed to the sorts of guys you really need to win a cup. So, um, you know, I, I like that approach in in general for Seattle. I think it's funny that we were both thinking about what the Kraken should do on, on sort of the same wavelength, Dim, because I, I like that part of it. I, I You know, I think it's mostly fair. I do think you'd need to include that extra second because I, I don't think Seattle would be in a rush to wave the white flag on this season or to lose uh, a player who means as much to the fabric of that team as Yan Gord. I, I love the fit. I love the fit for with, with Gord. Um, you know, obviously getting a little bit older, uh, you, you know, you're not 100% sure that you're going to get full prime Yanni Gord next season, but the style of play, I think, fits perfectly with what they do. Um, I... I have no idea how to evaluate Bowen Byram's trade value. Like I had a, a deal that I didn't really finish coming up with that involved like him going to Anaheim with Zegers going to Colorado. And I was looking at that and just staring at Bowen Byram's name and thinking like, how is this guy, like, is this guy valued as like a 22 year old who was arguably the best defenseman in the Stanley cup finals two years ago? Or is he evaluated like a project you know, often injured second pairing guy. What, you know, how do teams evaluate his potential? Like, I, I really don't know how Bowen Byram is being valued right now, if he's considered a blue chipper or, or, or what exactly is 
the status right now. Like the way that I think of Byron being valued, I'm looking at that package that you're throwing to Seattle and I'm almost thinking like, I kind of want Jamie Alexiak instead of Morgan in that deal. Um, but all that depends on, on how Byron is valued. Although I, I do like the, that we've, we've sent Capo Caco and Bowen Byron to Seattle. That, that is very on brand. So, um, yeah, love the fit. Just have no idea how to value Bowen Byron. I think that's something we're all struggling with in terms of similar to what we talked about with Josh Norris as well, right? It's like the upside is obviously there for a young player who has produced already at this level. It isn't just kind of like a hope and a prayer. We've seen it obviously in a different extent with Byron because as you mentioned, he led the abs in 5-1-5 usage in that Stanley Cup final against Tampa Bay and was an absolute rock star doing so and is still only 23 years old. Um, They haven't really made the financial commitment to him that the Senators made to Josh Norris. He makes 3.85 next year and then as an ARB eligible RFA. I think his performance is a bit more explainable this season. Like part of it, I think, is certainly injuries. And I think there's like an accumulation to that. And every time you miss time and then have to come back, there's going to be this sort of awkward period where you're reacclimating. But also his top 515 player he's shared the ice with this season is Ryan Johansson. And you look at the numbers when they've been out there and they're pretty poor. And his he's played like 200 minutes or 250 minutes with him and then like another 150 with Jack Johnson. Uh, sorry, uh, Jack, for uh, for bringing him into this. But yeah, I understand what the problem is here. <laughs> <laughs> when you look at the, the numbers for him with like even Manson or Sam Gerrard, they're significantly better. And so I think you can like paint a, a picture that sort of explains that. And to be clear, I'm not like giving up on him or being like, oh, they should just sell high on him. I think it just speaks to how much I value a guy like Gord here and, and how that would totally change the way this forward group looks. And, you know, with Taves and McCarr there long-term, Sam, Sam Gerrard, um, you know, they, they drafted that Mikhail Guliev guy in the, in the KHL who's absolutely crushing. He's a ways away, certainly, but is very promising. Sam Molinsky, I like what I've seen. Like, there's upside on the blue line there as well that I think they could make it work, even though losing Byron would certainly hurt. But I kind of want to see them take a big cut because I, I do still think the core of this team when healthy is absolutely Stanley Cup worthy and no one wants to play them, but they do have some work to do beyond Adam Henrique, I think. Okay. Uh, Jack, are you uh, are you up next year? I've kind of lost track. And I think at some point we should do some so. some Jay Gensel trades, but I don't want to necessarily force that on you because I know it's a, it's a little bit of a better subject for you. Yeah. So I have Jay Gensel going into the Pittsburgh Penguins for uh, eight years at eight and a half million dollars. So we all think of that. Um, okay, I think I have like three trades that are like worth talking about left, and then a couple like boring ones. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna open the the Noah Hannafin uh, can of worms here. Yeah. Um, so Florida gets an, an extended Noah Hannafin. Uh, I, I had eight years, seven and a half, which is what he came close to signing with uh, Calgary on. I'm assuming that the Florida tax thing makes that a palatable contract for him. Um, I also have him getting Kevin Rooney, just a guy who can technically play center for them. In return, Calgary gets Nico Mikola, who is not putting up very good numbers, but he's playing top four minutes for, for uh, Florida that Hannah Finn is going to replace. Um, some kind of mid-round draft pick i'm not really picky and the big drop here anton lundell whoa because here's my here's my thinking uh i don't know if you've seen 
Florida's cap friendly page, they don't have any defensemen after this year, basically. Like, Orsling is up. Uh, Montour is up. Uh, I think they have a couple guys further down the lineup. Uh, they're going to have to do a lot of thinking this summer because, of course, they also have to consider uh, Sam Reinhardt and a couple of their other forwards. Um, I think Hannafin fits their MO pretty well. He carries the puck up the ice. He's a solid puck mover. Um, reminds me a little bit of uh, of, of Aaron Ekblad at times, although obviously not remotely as physical um, or as physically imposing. Um, I think he could be a really solid piece for them on the left side of the ice for a lot of years. Um, and I think signing him would give them the stability they lack right now. Lindell is, I like Lindell as a player, but he's kind of stagnated for me as kind of a third liner. You know, obviously he hasn't had too many opportunities to move up the lineup, but I'm just really not seeing him taking that leap. His underlying numbers and and microstats also kind of reflect that. Um, I don't know if he's going to take that huge leap and become like a, a high-end second-line center for them. So, and plus, adding it from Calgary's perspective, instead of just kind of cashing out, getting a bunch of draft picks, I mean, you know, they have a roster that has some older players on it. I don't think that they would mind adding an NHL-level young talent. And Lindell, you know, really not that old at all. I think he was a 2020 draft pick. Um, I think he gives them something down the middle that they can start to, you know, potentially build around. Well, that's really interesting. I was sort of thinking on a similar wavelength with you. I was trying to work Jacob Chikrin trades to Florida with the similar logic of you get him in now. Now he's under contract at a good cap figure for next year as well. And he's probably there and his dad's on the broadcast and I'm sure you could get him long term, but it provides you not only with an immediate upgrade now on the left side, but also like insurance. Because I think they're going to keep and prioritize keeping Gus Forsling for as long as they can, but that might come with moving, walking away from Red and Montour and potentially Ernest next year as well. And so it gives you a bit of insurance there. And I was trying to make the money work, but yeah, that would certainly be a whopper. Um, I might be a bit higher on Anton Lendell still than you by the sounds of it, and maybe a bit lower on Noah Hannafin. I know he's having a phenomenal season. He's up to like eleven goals or whatever. Uh, doubling his uh, previous career shooting percentage this season. Um, I think he's like very situationally dependent. I thought having him playing with Tanev the way they did was phenomenal. Now you could argue, put him in Florida system, I'm sure he's going to justify that $7.5 million cap hit because everyone on that team does when you put him in that in that position and you're just playing downhill north-south will help him a ton and very, simplify everything. And so I'm sure he'd look great doing so. But that's a pretty hefty price to pay for that. What do you think about that, Tom? My concern with them adding Hannafin is more the bullets it removes from the chamber to keep Gustav Forsling, right? I, I mean, I'm 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 pretty fond of Hannafin as like a second pair guy. Um, I I know he's going to get paid as a top pair guy here, and to me, Forsling might not be paid as a top pair guy, but but is you know I, I think he's so vital as it stirs the drink for the Panthers that, you know, I, I sort of, so I suppose I get a little bit nervous about the prospect of the Panthers removing their flexibility to keep a guy that I think is like absolutely vital to how they want to play. Yeah. I'm yeah. with you. I, I'm yeah. I see. I, I would value Hannison for me. He's like a top pair. Like he's like a number, a solid number two um, defenseman. Um, which, you know, I think that's a pretty reasonable price. Thing. 
I figure Brandon Montour is probably going to walk, and that's probably the right decision for the Panthers. So in in this arrangement, I'm still envisioning them holding on to Forsling, but he's also one of those players, so I I can't really wrap my head around exactly what his number is going to come down to. And he, I mean, it is Florida, so maybe they'll just find a way to add him, and he you know maybe he loves Florida so much that he'll take a bit of a discount to do that. But we shall see. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to see that. I mean, the the fit certainly makes a lot of sense. I was kind of going more. Uh, low-key with Florida because I just think they've been so good and well-rounded here pretty much since like the Christmas break that I'd be fine with them. I I, I would like to see them add a left-shot defenseman to just so they're not relying on Nico Mikola, as you mentioned, and OEL, but um, I think they can add someone kind of lesser and then add another either speedy winger that could potentially give them other looks so they can move Cousins down, play him with Barkov, yeah. Uh, if they want to, you know, move, recreate that Reinhardt checking line from last postseason, or I could just be happy if they just went with like get a Yakov Trenin for cheap or something, and just have like a punishing four checking winger that can basically replace like jo- Jonah Gajevich on the fourth line, and I think that might be enough for them as well because I just think so highly of their roster. So they could go any number of ways. They're in a pretty good position, and I know they have very limited resources, and that's why you're including Lundellier because like. They don't really have yeah, capital exactly. or prospects. Um, so that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, that, that's fascinating. I had some... Tom, did you have any Hannafin trades beyond that? I had uh, a Lightning one just because it seems like the writing is kind of on the wall for that based on how every single big insider has been linking the two recently. But I'm curious if you had any other Hannafin trades or, or kind of potential things to think about. I actually didn't have any Hannafin trades um, when I th- think about it, the one thing I will say is uh, it feels like it's Boston's MO. You know, Boston loves to use the deadline to buy long-term pieces. It feels like, you know, a Hampus Lindholm redux, Charlie Coyle uh, mold type move. Um, so I, but no, I don't have any in trades, excuse me. Yeah. I mean, speaking of resources, Boston's is, is pretty thin in that regard. Not a Tampa Bay is uh is voluminous by Lush. means, but at least they have the cap space with with a circuit chip on LTIR right now. Um I had like a a big lightning one involving Anafin that included them also like them giving back Connor Sheary, let's say, and then like Isaac Howard in a pick and or whatever the draft capital needed to be in basically turning Connor Sheary, who they signed for multiple years for some reason this past offseason and has given them one goal, I believe, so far this year and is still owed $2 million for the next couple seasons, turning him into potentially getting back Blake Coleman, who has some risk attached because of his age and because of the term left on his deal, but like clearly has juice in terms of like creating stuff and also a PK, and I think would help them a ton because you look at the wings for them, and especially when they're playing Hagel up with Kucherov and Point as they are now, it leaves them very thin, and... The elephant in the room is that beyond the power play, like Stamkos has looked pretty cooked recently, and they're just not generating anything at five on five with them on the ice. But that's left Sorelli and Paul with very slim pickings on the wings. And so I was trying to figure out how they could potentially get Mangiapani instead, because I think he'd be like a phenomenal fit for them. But with his cap hit, I it was really tough to finagle that. I think the difference between him and Coleman makes it a bit easier 
to figure that out, but I thought that would uh, that would make sense. What do you think about that, Jack? Well, you know, speaking of that, I think Warren Finagle would be a perfect set for Tampa Bay based on the way that they play. <laughs> um, yeah, I like. I just can't figure out how Tampa Bay can fit any like great players, like the additions, like you know, like you said, like people keep talking about Noah Hannafin going there. I guess you can theoretically make it work with a combination of some of their prospects, but it really does seem unfair. I do think it's funny that we uh, identified uh, the three teams with the least number of assets in the league as the three options for Noah Hannafin. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I would love to see Tampa do something because like you said, that roster is looking pretty limited and the Eastern Conference is always more interested when they're when they're a juggernaut. So it would not surprise me if they find some way. I like the thing I was thinking of was like, like Nick Dowd seemed like the most Tampa Bay lightning acquisition target, you know, that you could think of. I mean, guy who has a tiny contract for next year, he's a bottom sixer, all this stuff. And I'm sure that Julian Breezeball is just wishing that he had two first round picks, a second and a third that he could send to Washington for, for him. But, uh, Unfortunately, not so lucky. So he might have to settle for a top pairing defenseman instead. Well, the ironic thing about them, they're one of the few teams you can say this about, but I actually don't mind the right side of their blue line uh, with Chernak, Radish, and, and Burbix. The left side beyond Hedman is obviously alarming where they're like leaning pretty heavily on Calvin DeHaan and Lillebrook right now. So I think that's where the Hannafin fit comes into place. But I also just thinking about this more because at first blush, I was with, I was kind of same with you guys being like, all right, well, Tampa Bay is interested, but like, how do they? accomplish that but wouldn't you say their 2026 first is a more valuable asset than their 2024 first especially if it's fully unprotected and i'm not sure if you would be able to accomplish that but whether you're the team ultimately making that pick or not just having it as an asset down the road considering the likelihood that this team with how they're getting up there in age and not knowing what they're even going to look like in 2026 I think it's much more likely they age out of their competitive window and completely hit rock bottom than continually trying to find a way to defy the odds. So I'd be very interested in getting like NBA style trades, like future picks from them and pick swaps and stuff like that, as opposed to the conventional, I need their first round pick right now. So that wouldn't be a really limiting factor for me. Uh, But obviously we know that teams typically don't think that way, especially with GMs who need something like very imminent to show for, for, trading away a guy of Noah Hannafin's caliber. Can you imagine the Tampa Bay Lightning trading away the Gavin McKenna pick for Nick Dowd? Yeah, I mean, that that was stuff like that happened in the NBA. I mean, I know we've seen stuff like that as well happen in the NHL a couple times uh, recently, but yeah, that would, uh, I, I would be very interested in that. All right, Tom, um, actually, let's take our break here, and then when we come back, we really have to do some Jake Gensel trades because we're going to be in the final block here of our trades we like to see. And I think people listening are like, all right, tell me where Jake Gensel's going to go. So we're going to hopefully help with that when we come back. You're listening to the Hoggy PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we're back here on the Hoggy PDO cast closing out the trades we'd like to see for the 2024 NHL trade deadline. We've been teasing it long enough. Let's do some Jake Gensel ones. Of course, all the hard work has been left to me because neither of you two have any interesting Jake Gensel trades, apparently. And I don't blame you because I think a lot of the conversation is is the, the most boring type of trade to me. It's like, 
Jake Gensel for a first, the second, and a prospect. It's like, all right, I think we can get a little more creative with that. Now, I'm going to pitch you guys on one. I could only come up with one where I thought there was like a very logical player for player type of trade that I actually think would make sense for Pittsburgh because I don't think acquiring the 27th overall pick or whatever really helps them in any way moving forward. So here's one. The Vegas Golden Knights. Now, this summer, they have Chandler Stevenson's up and he's up for a pretty big pay raise. They have Alec Martinez's money coming off the books and Jonathan Marcheseau is a UFA as well. Now, I guess part of this would be dictated by how they feel internally about Chandler Stevenson, whether they feel like they can retain him at a reasonable price or not. But the fact they have Jack Eichel and William Carlson down the middle anyways gives me a bit bit of reassurance as a sort of safety net in case it doesn't work out with Stevenson. And then worst case, they just wind up going into the offseason with a bunch of money to spend So my trade is, and I hate to do this to the guy because I promise I love him so much and that's why I keep bringing him up in all these trades, but it's Nick Waugh. And I think leveraging Nick Waugh and potentially a pick, but I think honestly, the fact that he for his age 20 through 30 seasons is making just $3 million for the next three years is an instant contributor and like a very interesting skill set at that where he's been underutilized for Vegas because of their depth, but I think he's got way more playmaking to show that he's been allowed to. And so I think Pittsburgh could suddenly use him in a much bigger role. Um, But a lot of interesting possibilities with that. I think he's certainly the best, most intriguing, like immediate contributor they could get from any of these teams that would make sense in a return for Gensel. And that's what I think they should be prioritizing. And he's still young enough where I think there's the upside there. So I kind of like that. And then from Vegas' perspective, they have Gensel for the rest of the year. They can replace him long. They can replace uh, Marcia so long term by just signing Gensel. And then all of a sudden, you can use him with Eichel or him with Carlson or him with Stone as dual wingers. I mean, the possibilities are endless. He would obviously rock uh, on the Golden Knights. And so that fit is very obvious. But yeah, I think like someone like a Nick Waugh, I know Vegas likes him a lot, but he's just such an intriguing asset to use in a trade like this for the reasons I mentioned. And so I think that would make sense in this regard. Yeah, I'd rather see that than like you alluded to, just like a 28th overall pick and something like that. I like Wall as a player and Gensel and Stone would be maybe one of the smartest wing combinations in the NHL. Just the level of hockey IQ on display there would be pretty special, especially with uh, someone with the raw skill Jack Eichel in the middle. So I think he did good. I can tell you're it's, just you're just dead inside, just even thinking about Jake. Yeah, Gensel being uh, just uh, yeah, mascara is running down my face right now, just thinking about it. But it's the most Vegas deal, right? Like if anyone's going to swing and land the b- biggest piece, it feels like it's Vegas, or it feels like it's Vancouver, right? I mean, those feel like the teams that are outpacing everyone else in ter- terms of aggression at the moment. Um, you know. Do you have any concern if they lose Nick Waugh that they lose Chandler Stevenson insurance, given that he's, you know, a top 10, 10 he's a top 10, five on five scorer <laughs> among forwards the last few years, uh, vital, vital to what they do with his speed game, with his emergence as like a, a genuine, I, I mean, honestly, he's a top line caliber offensive threat at even strength. I don't, I don't know that he's like a superstar given that he's not driving a power play or anything, but I mean, he's a top-line caliber center, not going to be affordable given the the lack of depth at that position. I mean, you lose Nick Waugh, you lose a, a pretty key body to help 
um, offset his departure in the event that he does leave. Um, does that concern you at all? It does. But like I said, you are left with Jack Eichel and William Carlson and a bunch of cap space. And Vegas entering an offseason with cap space is a guarantee for, for a fun outcome for us. So uh, I'm sure they would not just sit on that gap space, right? Like they would be very aggressive and creative in trying to fill that hole left behind by some other means. So it would be a bit of a concern, but also, I mean, listen, you're adding Jay Gensel to this mix. And yeah, I think all of a sudden you're the favorite to repeat as a Stanley Cup champion, assuming that, you know, Stone and Eichel are going to be healthy in the playoffs. So uh, I think the upside is there and it warrants whatever that risk is. Can I squirrel? I, I, we'll get back to fake trades in a second, but I, I just, I'm just curious to hear Jack answer this question. Is Vegas a sleeping giant or are they not that good? Feels like there's no middle answer for them. I think sleeping giant, right? I mean, me too. They, they have the potential to wake up in the playoffs. Obviously, they're not playing up to their full potential, but yeah, I, I think you have to take them seriously, especially if they add really amazing hockey genius Jake Kensel at the trade deadline. Can we talk about something else, please? Well, well can we, <laughs> one more, one more Gensel one. I think the Red Wings are a team to watch here because they have a bunch of cap space. They have a ton of not only draft capital, but also like young players like a Jonathan Bergeron who is at the right age and is in the AHL thriving. And so he would be a very interesting piece. And a development recently has been Lucas Raymond and JT Comfer have been winning their minutes at 5 on 5 and that's allowed them to play to bring out Larkin and Kane together and they've been obviously been awesome particularly offensively and I like Michael Rasmussen a lot uh, and I think he provides a lot but if you add a Gensel obviously or someone who can play in that top 6 on the wing with those guys you bump Rasmussen down to like a 4th line center or a 3rd line wing or whatever and you're just adding to that depth that has carried them a lot this season but also like their power play has been awesome and they draw a ton of penalties as a team. And I think that's a big reason why they're winning beyond just the the overall shooting percentage. But Gensel's diversity in ways he can score in particular as move the needle at 5 on 5 would be such a valuable skill for them. And then you could also envision a long-term fit of him staying and playing with Lorcan or whatever down the road as well. So I kind of like Detroit there and they're lurking in all this. I've seen them referenced a little bit, but they keep winning, and it's been a while since they've been relevant as an organization, and we know that Steve Eiserman is going to be aggressive in one direction or another, and so I'm very curious to see if they act on this, and I think they're a team to reference here, along with like the usuals, like the Hurricanes and the Oilers and all the other teams we've earned uh, linked against all in the past. You know who would be a great fit for him in the offseason would be... The, the Pittsburgh Penguins? The Chicago... Well, yes. If we're throwing that away, Gensel next to Connor Bedard... For a couple of years, mm. yeah. Anyway, I'm here for it. Yeah, but if you're him, I mean, I, yeah, yeah no, I, I, I get why he would want to. But I mean, if he wants to score 90 points a year, that would be a good way to do it. We all agree. I mean, Getzel would obviously be a phenomenal fit for the Hurricanes, and I, I think we'd all agree that we'd love to see them actually take like a big cut here, as opposed to their usual uh, business around like in-season trades in particular. But I also think that a guy like Butchnevich makes a bit more sense for them. Now the price for him is really high because he's still got another year at a good salary. Um, but I really like the Buchnevich fit for them as well as the Gensel one, of course. Gensel would be a sick fit in Carolina, but I've got a fake trade that I really like for Carolina that I want to throw you. You ready? Go for it. 
Pavel Busnevich to the Carolina Hurricanes. They send back to St. Louis, not two firsts, which St. Louis is looking for, but a 2024 first-round pick and defenseman Scott Morrow, equivalent value to a first-round pick given the way that he's trended in Div 1. Carolina adds a skilled, big player, can help them on the power play, even though they're already really good there. Uh, Just bring like a little bit of extra East-West playmaking, but also the frame and ability to play Rod Brindamore hockey. At some point, they got to go all in, but this isn't even an all-in move. You're buying him for a couple of years, gives you some flexibility as you navigate the mess of expirings that they'll have to navigate this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I... (laughs) My thoughts on the Hurricanes are are well documented here. Certainly, it's like the uh, the Shack meme. You're not fooling me. I'm familiar with your game. I know their power play has been really good this year, but if you look at their statistical profile offensively on Sport Logic, they are 14th in expected goals, 15th in slot shots. Now they're eighth in inner slot shots, and I think a lot of that is spamming rebounds the way they have in the past. And they're obviously first in shot attempts, but I think a lot of the stuff that where our concerns for us in the past still are. And so obviously adding an interior scorer like one of these guys would go a long way. And I'm, I'm with you. Like I think Wichnevich has scored at a 34-goal pace since coming to St. Louis, but also has shot like 17% in that time. So he's been very efficient, but he also doesn't really take much off the table in other areas as well. So it's not like you're sacrificing or compensating, which I know the Hurricanes don't like to do philosophically as a team. And so, yeah, the fit, makes a lot of sense and I really love Butchnevich for them but I mean pretty much any team that acquired Butchnevich at this point I would like that and think they got significantly better yep I agree with all that alright Jack rules let's uh, that's it that's all that's all I had for you Gensel there you go it wasn't uh, it wasn't as dramatic as as I thought it was gonna be <laughs> you built it up into me <laughs> well we had to talk about it a little bit but it's also like I think everyone is pretty familiar with a lot of the fits and the reasonable yep. asking price for it so it's not the most interesting, especially for the purposes of this show. All right, Jack, let's uh, let's go through your remaining ones then. And Tom, I'll let you go uh, lightning route and style after because I know you've got a few little tidbits there to throw out there. Okay, I'll, I'll, I got two left, so I'll throw a one and we can throw to Drance and then I'll, I'll do my other one after that. So the one I got, not a rental, not involving any teams that are going to make the playoffs uh, this year. Uh, Buffalo Sabres acquire Rasmus Anderson from Calgary. In exchange, Calgary gets a 2025 first-round pick that is protected, um, but slides to a 2026 unprotected. Because we're going to get exciting in Buffalo. Uh, Connor Clifton, who does not have trade protection, so sorry, pal. And Alberta native Peyton Krebs. So Calgary, once again, picking up a young, skilled player with uh, decent pedigree. Um, giving him an opportunity higher up in the lineup. Buffalo acquires a uh, guy who should be a top-pairing right-handed defenseman for them who can be the long-term guy next to Rasmus Dahlin instead of Matthias Samuelsson, uh, and then obviously takes a pretty significant risk with a first-round pick there, but uh, especially one that will slide to being unprotected, but uh, now or never, honestly. I mean, if, if the Buffalo Sabres are still getting high picks in 2026... Or even twenty twenty five, something has gone wrong. Yeah, I, I mean, from the Flames' perspective, what's interesting is that they've obviously just traded Tanev, uh, Hannafin is out the door. 
Shillington is a UFA. If they trade Rasmus Anderson here, it might not matter in the grand scheme of things because it's like, all right, we're telegraphing. We're actually going to take a step back here and rebuild and kind of try to accumulate young talent along the way. But it's also in a bit of a weird spot where some of these guys, like obviously we'll see what happens with Markstrom and he's easier to move, but you've got Backlund there, you've got uh, Kadri, Uyghur, Coleman, all who have a lot of term left on their deal and who have bounced back and performed well this year. And then, and then Huberto is a bit of a different story. But you're you're in a very weird place. I guess there's a lot of like opportunity there uh, in terms of figuring out how you're going to fill out that blue line. But man, uh, the idea of just like losing all of those guys in a matter of weeks is uh, is pretty dramatic. So that would be interesting. What do you think about that, Tom? I mean, I like the idea of those two teams sort of getting together. Right, the the Flames need to transition from a, a, a win now team that hasn't won. And the Buffalo Sabres need to start winning, right? It feels like two teams meeting uh, in different directions, uh, you know, uh, like passing by each other on an escalator up and down, um, you know. So to me, that makes perfect sense, right? The the <laughs> I, I like it a lot. That's a really sharp way of sort of looking at those two teams' situations, I think. Well done, Jack. Well, well thank you. Uh, did you have one more you said, or, or was that it? Uh, oh. I I do, but it's it's like a bonkers three way one. So okay, let's let's do that. Just, just say, okay, okay, we'll do that. Let's say that till the end. Tom, give me a couple. Uh, uh, I've got I've got a couple. I'll just shoot through. You ready? Got I've got the Kings get Anthony Duclair and Kako Kakinen. There's going to have to be retention in there. Um, and they and they send San Jose like a second round pick and Alex Turcotte. So add some scoring punch. Oh, sorry. There's not going to have to be retention. I'm assuming that Kempe is on LTI in this scenario. Um, the yeah, so they say they trade Turcotte. Uh, San Jose takes a swing on a reclamation project. They get a 2025 second round pick. Kings get an extra body to play goal and uh, and someone to just add some East West like attacking flair. Um, they've thrown a lot of bodies and resources at adding some of that attacking flair, but Declare is going to be the piece that puts them over the top. Yeah. Any other ones, Tom? Yeah, I got Markstrom and Walker. <laughs> Gumer. Sorry, I didn't. All good. I didn't. I didn't think that one needed a lot of. Uh, no, it's like analysis. You get a goalie, you get an yeah. offense player. Yeah. Uh, likewise, similarly, Markstrom and Walker Dewar from Calgary to New Jersey, no retention. We know that that's been an issue. Um, Devils send the Flames a second round pick and Seamus Casey. Uh, productive collegiate defenseman. Um, I guess there's some possibility. I just picked like a good non-elite prospect from the devil system. I guess there's a possibility that Calgary would view a collegiate defenseman as a signing risk and, and prefer a different type of piece, but the devils have prospects. I mean, that they can figure that out. So uh, anyway, uh, it's been a issue with retention in, in that deal, apparently. It's partly why it hasn't happened yet. I see the Markstrom contract is like, one that the flames would do wise, not like they'd be wise not to worry too much about haggling over the price. I, I think about the Oliver Ekman Larson trade out of Arizona, right? And how the Canucks pursued it in October and the Coyotes didn't do it. Season goes badly, management groups retained, and then the Canucks come back to the table. But it's like, what if that opportunity hadn't presented it- itself? Like, what if that, what if they'd missed that opportunity? Uh, that would have been hugely costly. So, Sometimes I, I just think you need to, like, if you've got a 34-year-old with a buyout-proof contract, even though I, I still think highly of Markstrom, uh, you know, 
with where Calgary's at with the the Dustin Wolf situation to you know you got to clear up some minutes for him I, I just think they should pull the trigger maybe if they lose the retention piece and just accept a slightly lesser return uh, that can facilitate a deal and then Walker Dewar the the Devils also get a heavy body which I do think they need well they have an extra fourth now they could entice Calgary with after mm-hmm. uh, jumping into the into the Tanev deal I guess my concern would be figuring out what you do with Vitek Vanacek's $3.4 million owed next year, but that's something I guess you could figure out this offseason because obviously with Dougie Hamilton's LTIR, you've got the wiggle room for the rest of this season. Yeah. And yeah, if you want to salvage this season, I think you do need to do something. And so I'd be interested in that. I'm very curious to see what the market would be like because typically we don't see goalies fetching nearly the return that people think they're going to go for, right? It's just like we've seen the way the landscapes change for that. So I'd be curious to see how that shook out. Um any thoughts on that one, or do you want to get to your bonkers three-teamer, Jack? All right. So, St. Louis Blues get Capo Caco, Ryan Lindgren, New York's first-round pick, and Ottawa's second-round pick. The Ottawa Senators get Colton Pareko, Brennan Othman, and Barclay Goodrow. The New York Rangers get Jacob Chikrin and Pavel Buchnevich. The logic here, essentially, uh, Ottawa turns over Chikrin, brings in Pareko. I think fairly similar players stylistically. Pareko, obviously, older, a little bit more costly. Um, and and a player that I really don't know what his value is around the league uh, is I would be inclined to think of him as a potentially negative value asset, but I could just as easily see teams valuing him as a legit top-pairing defensive defenseman. He's playing, like, number one minutes in St. Louis. Um so and then they also get uh, Othman and take on the Barclay Goudreau contract, kind of in a similar way that we were talking about Scott Lawton earlier. Basically, they bring him in, they see him as rings in the room, gritty bottom six kind of player. Uh, St. Louis uh, brings in Kako. Uh, they get a guy who has in the past performed at a decent top four level in Lindgren. Uh, they get some draft picks, um, and then. You know, unfortunately, they they lose uh, Buchnevich. It might be there might need to be more draft compensation in there for Buchnevich, depending on how he's being valued right now. Um, and they also get off the Bolton Pareko contract, which I think, if it hasn't gone south already, has the possibility to go south pretty soon. And so they get a little bit of flexibility with that. And then, of course, the Rangers. Uh, Lindgren has been an issue next to Fox this season. Um, I think maybe Chikrin could provide maybe a bit of a physical defensive edge. Uh, next to him and also kind of give him somebody to play with in transition on the blue line. And then obviously uh, Bushnevich, I know we talked about Kako being functional in that top six, but obviously Bushnevich is at a different level from him. So they really solidify and, and bring him back. The uniting moving parts there. The uniting theme in this in today's show has been a lot of players returning to their former stopping grounds. And then here I was thinking <laughs> that uh, I would have the most outrageous three-teamer involving the Ottawa Senators, but of course Jack had to go and one up me with his final one, Tom. That was a uh, that was quite a whopper. I was still trying to wrap my head around all the moving parts. I mean, I'm very interested, um, but man, that is a lot of salary in particular moving around. Um, I so th- I think it works. Yeah, I, no, I, 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 ran, it. I ran it through, and I I think that it works. There might have to be some retention on like Barclay Goodrow or something, but I I think that it's fine. And the thing with Goodrow is, I honestly, uh, when, when Goodrow was bought out this summer. Not only do you save his full cap hit, but also you get a 330 or a, like a third of a million uh, surplus as well 
because of the way his contract was structured. So an interesting thing to think about. But uh, yeah, what were you going to say, Tom? I know. I just, I, I actually kind of like it for Ottawa. I do think that's a less costly way than you're moving Josh Norris. Like there, there's less downside to that way of shaking things up and you add a couple solid citizens, well-liked guys in, in Pareko and Goudreau. So I, I, I actually, well done, Jack. Okay. To, be, fa- to be fair, I just wanted to clarify it. Like, I think if you're, I liked feeling, your trade. if you're feeling a bit antsy about owing Josh Norris $50 million for the next six years, considering you can string together 50 straight games of staying on the ice, going with like Lawton, Broberg, and a couple of picks, I don't think that's necessarily like punting him as a nothing. Like, I think that's like a pretty reasonable return, considering we've heard Scott Lawton floated around for firsts and last summer, multiple firsts at that as a trade piece. So... I don't know. I think I think that's like a pretty fair price. But yeah, um, I guess it all depends on like how extreme Ottawa is willing to go with really taking a step in a different direction. And I think we all agree, probably very much so. So that would uh, that would certainly accomplish that. I've uh, I've got one last one by the way, and this is like the most on brand possible one for this for the to, to cap this show. Uh, Novak and Carrier. <laughs> to Vancouver for Pod Colson and a second round pick in 2025. Why not? Sure. Sure. Can, we, can we throw in Maxim Maxim Bamman? Yeah. Maxim Bamman. Yeah. The the Canucks actually do just have cap space to do it, by the way, and activate Susie off LTI. It just requires them to waive uh D Giuseppe and Niels Amon, which I think you do to, you know. Uh, um, and maybe Mark Friedman as well to to get that sort of upgrade to your defensive group and uh, your top six forward group. Yeah, I had a, I had a like a Riley Smith or McKay Evan a pick type of deal, so it's kind of similar in that regard. I also had I was trying to come up with Zegers ones, and I don't think it's necessarily pertinent now. Like I think we could talk about more in the off season. And it's depending on who you ask. I don't think people would be surprised to hear this, but opinions on what he's worth on the market vary quite wildly. So it's tough to gauge, similar to a lot of the players we talked about. But I had him going to the Capitals because I thought it was like an interesting sort of, he helps you right now. And I think that's what they're trying to accomplish in terms of like infusing young talent into the lineup, but also provides a playmaker to help push Ovechkin over the top in his goals pursuit. And I thought that would make sense. And from the Ducks perspective, it would be mostly just getting a bunch of features back to then keep your powder dry for going all in on the next big disgruntled superstar that becomes available because I think they certainly have the young pieces and the cap space to do so and that should be a direction they're sort of interested in so that was that and uh, I also was trying to come up with Kyle Connor ones not that he's available by any means but I just think if the Jets are smart there's like a way to cash in and leverage that into really winning in the long term right now because there's this weird dichotomy going on with them where Every night you look at their box score and it's like Kyle Connor played 20 minutes tonight and had a 30% expected goal share. And Nick Eilers played 12 minutes tonight and he had an 80% goal sh- expected goal share. I'm like, <laughs> all right, can we can we fix this? And it, it might be coaching, but also this is multiple coaches now that have done this. So I think there's something clearly like more deeply entrenched in the organization beyond just whoever is is filling out the lineup sheet. It's the yeah. money ball trade, right? Where they trade the the hot shot rookie third baseman that the manager won't stop playing. Yeah. Okay. That's what you're on. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm I do. I do. I, I, 
I do love Zegers to, uh, to Washington, actually, as a team whose philosophy for the next couple of years should be losing entertainingly and getting Ovechkin the goals record. I'm I'm now very fixated on this Zegers to Washington idea. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah, that's what we're trying to accomplish here. Okay, uh, Tom, I'll let you plug stuff on the way out because trade deadline's ahead. You're obviously going to have a lot of coverage covering the Canucks. Let the listeners know about that. And then Jack, after Tom's done, let the listeners know what you're going to be able to do. Canucks Talk, listen to it Monday to Friday on Sportsnet 650 or wherever you find your podcasts. I'll be breaking everything down at The Athletic. Um, tons of Canucks coverage. They're going to be in the news here. Some reports uh, of, of an imminent large extension even. So going to be an interesting week. Uh, and then obviously they're setting up for the playoff run. So very excited. It's exciting at work these days, Tim. Mm. Jack, what are you up to? Well, I will be covering the trade deadline in the week leading up to us, uh, not only on Twitter at JFreshHockey, posting all the player cards and analysis, uh, but also on EP Rinkside, uh, posting a couple uh, trade profiles, uh, and then probably wrapping things up uh, after it ends. So plenty of stuff to do. Awesome, bud. We'll keep up the great work. Uh, You as well, Tom. My only plug is join the PDOcast Discord. The invite link is in the show notes. Uh, A lot of fun stuff in there. There's a trade forum in there. So if you like today's show, there's a lot more of that going on in there. Very informative, thoughtful. I guarantee it's better than anything you'll find on Twitter, discourse-wise, and on Trade Atlanta itself. I'm sure it'll be buzzing in there, and we'll have a lot of fun stuff to talk about, react to in real time. So get in there if you're not already. Thank you for listening to us. Hopefully, uh, this this year's show lived up to the hype of previous versions, and I'm already looking forward to the 2025 version with you guys. Be well. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you for the listeners for listening to us, and we'll be back soon with plenty more of the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.